Would you pray with me now? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our maker, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. Our gospel reading this morning is about trust in troubled times. The great reformer Martin Luther once called this the best and most comforting sermon Christ preached while on earth. Let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. I would like to reflect this morning with you on the spiritual dynamics of trust. It seems to me that we're living in this social, cultural, political atmosphere that is dominated and dictated by distrust. No one knows who to believe, and no one knows who to trust. And, and I think Bishop Todd said it really well last week. Everyone feels like they're being used for one reason or another, either for a vote or as a client or as a customer. And then you add to this the unspeakable loss and uncertainty that many people are experiencing right now like socially and economically and emotionally and psychologically. So when no one knows who to trust and everyone is grieving some sort of personal loss, then you are ripe for a context and a culture where it's every person for themselves. Every person for themselves. But I think what Jesus invites us into as his followers is something totally different. He invites us into a totally different way of being human and a different way of inhabiting the world and a different way of responding to a pandemic and responding to other people. Jesus invites us into the spiritual dynamics of trust in every area, in every circumstance, in every facet of life. And I think as a church, this is important for us to remember in this time as well, because one of the greatest resources that we have in the present circumstances is trust. Like we don't, we aren't near each other. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty. We don't know what the future is going to look like, but trust in Jesus and trust in one another is something that we still have. It's really interesting. Someone once asked Mother Teresa how she finds clarity in the midst of really difficult circumstances. And she answered, I, I don't ask for clarity. I just pray for trust. There's something about the dynamic of trust, something mysterious, but something very real about the dynamic of trust that unlocks the deepest creative capacities of the human spirit, that makes room for great acts of sacrifice and beauty, even in the most difficult of circumstances. Mother Teresa, wonderful example. So let us consider the nature of trust. What sort of spiritual posture and attitudes and actions is Jesus inviting us into in this season? The first is simply trust names reality. Uh, I've mentioned this language of naming reality many times to you before, but it's important here. Trust does not act like everything is fine when it's not. Trust is not glib. Notice how Jesus begins his sermon by naming the disciples' troubled hearts. Do not let your hearts be troubled. He knows what they're struggling with, and he begins by naming it. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Now, we may be tempted to read Jesus' words initially as some sort of reprimand of them. Your heart shouldn't be troubled. Woe is you who has little faith. But that's not what Jesus is doing here. 
And we know that's not what Jesus is doing here, because in the previous two chapters before this moment, we are told twice by John in his gospel that Jesus himself was troubled in spirit, that Jesus himself was troubled in soul. To have a troubled heart, in other words, is not necessarily to be out of sync with Jesus. Just because you may feel disoriented or discouraged or troubled or anxious does not necessarily mean that you are out of sync with Jesus or that you have little faith. There may very well be good reasons to be troubled right now. (laughs) But the key question is, what do we do when we find ourselves in that place? When we find our hearts in that space? Literally translated, Jesus' invitation could read, trust into God and trust also into me. The Greek preposition has uh, denotes movement. It's movement language. Jesus is describing a movement whereby a person transfers their trust from whatever it is that is causing their troubled and uncertain hearts to the person of Jesus himself. I think one of the best like biblical examples of this trusting movement that I know of is, is, is found in Psalm 13. And interestingly, it's a psalm of lament. It's a three-part lament. It, 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 the first part starts with like, how long, O oh Lord? How long is this going to go on? How long will you hide your face? Because it feels like that's happening. How long will you not answer my prayers, Lord? And it's this crying out how long. And then it moves to the second part where it's, Lord, consider the details of my life. Consider the circumstances I'm in. Consider what we are dealing with and answer us. And then the third part is, I trust in your unfailing love, Lord. Notice how the psalmist only gets to the point of trust by going through the process of lament. And I think that's one of the things that I personally am just starting to discover in this season, probably a little too late, but I'm glad I'm discovering it, is that sometimes trust is born out of the process of grief. And difficulty trusting may be due to the fact sometimes that we are not adequately grieving the losses that we are experiencing and how our hearts feel troubled. So I think it's no mistake that Jesus begins by saying, let not your hearts be troubled. Trust names reality. Number two, trust yearns for a goal. Jesus tells us that there will be a day when faith will become sight and we will be with him where he is in the father's house. Verses two and three, in my father's house are many rooms, says Jesus. If it were not so, I uh, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. The great 6th century pastor who eventually became Pope, Gregory the Great, once said, the more depressed I am about present suffering, the more consoled I am by the certain promises of eternal life. The more depressed I am about present suffering, the more consoled I am about the certain promises of eternal life. 
Gregory wrote those words in a commentary, a series of reflections on the book of Job. And he was studying the book of Job in particular because he lived through a lot of difficult dynamics in his life. He lived through two pandemics. When he was about three to four years old, there was a pandemic that wiped out a third of Italy's population. And then in his first year of being Pope, head of the whole church at that time, there was a pandemic that swept through and he had to lead his people through it. And one of the interesting things that I find in in Gregory's writings is that he has this understanding, this theology of suffering as being something not just to avoid, but as something that can be beneficial, can be medicinal, he uses that language, and can be pedagogical. And he says, because it's in suffering that we often learn how to walk more closely and with Christ and identify with his own suffering. See, one of the dynamics of trust that I think Jesus unfolds in this passage is that trust yearns for and reaches toward the goal of our lives, no matter what the circumstance, and that is to be with God, to be in his presence, to be in step and in sync with him, to see his face. We see the spiritual posture expressed in the words of Philip just a few verses later. He says, Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. We've been made in the image of God, and however much we have to face that image, we as human beings still yearn to see the face of God. Show us the Father, Lord, and that will be enough for us. Jesus makes this staggering claim in response to Philip's request. He says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Moses said to God on the mountain, Lord, show me your glory. And God said, Moses, I, nobody can see my glory and live. And now Jesus says to Philip, when Philip says, show us the Father, he says, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. See, what Trist did, does is it leans into this staggering claim and this staggering mystery. I've been reflecting on this a bit in our time been thinking about the nature of trust as being oriented towards a goal. Like trust is not just about getting through something in order to get on the other end so that we don't have to be in a place of trust anymore. The goal of trust is about seeing God in the midst of the process and the circumstances and the journey. Like the point of trust is not simply to make it through a difficult season, but it's it's, it's to have our eyes opened to who God is and the depths of his character. I mean, think about Israel's wanderings in the wilderness for a moment with me. Many of you probably feel like you're in some sort of wilderness right now. The point of Israel wandering through the wilderness was not just so that they could learn to depend on God before God brought them to the promised land, although that was important. It was so that in the wilderness, God could reveal the depths of who he is to his people. Like there were aspects of the character of God and of his goodness and of his loving kindness and of his mercy that Israel would only get if they had to spend 40 years in the wilderness. I think what trust does is trust enables us to start seeing in the midst of whatever our circumstances are, aspects of God's character that we would not have seen otherwise. And that is the goal of human life, to see God 
for who he really is. To be with God in the fullness of who he really is. Trust yearns for the goal. And third, trust knows that the way to the goal is not a method, it's a person. Verses five and six. Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Trust means banking everything on those definite articles. (laughs) The way, the truth, and the life. St. John Chrysostom once remarked, another early church father, that Jesus did not hurl this exclusive claim into the face of the world in order to taunt it, but he gave it to his disciples in order to encourage them. You see, this claim is not just about winning evangelism arguments and points. This claim is Jesus wanting to build trust with his friends. It's Jesus wanting to turn our hearts from anything that is troubling us and pin them on himself and on himself alone. Jesus is saying, in short, that there is no other redemptive way to live life than in full-hearted, full-throttled, fully-orbed trust in him. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. I like the way that Thomas Akempis puts it in his spiritual classic, The Imitation of Christ. Some of you may have read this before. He writes this paraphrase of Jesus' words. Follow me. I am the way and the truth and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I'm the way that you should follow the truth that you should trust, the life that you should hope for. I am the inviolable way. I am the infallible truth. I am the indestructible life. I am the straightest way. I am the sovereign truth. I am the authentic life, end quote. I was in a meeting this past week where a pastor said that he felt like some people in his church were cultivating what he called a spirituality of down-the-roadness. In other words, we know what it's like to be church in February. We knew how to be the church in February. So we're holding out for when this gets better so that we can go back to normal. But this pastor remarked, I think wisely, he said, we don't know when normal is going to come. And we don't know if normal is ever going to return in exactly the way that we experienced it So he said the key question for every disciple of Jesus Christ right now is not when are we going to get back to normal, but how are we going to live right now in the unnormal? In a moment when politics seems to be determining how we're living, seems to trump both science and religion in dictating how people are responding to the pandemic and are responding to one another. I think Jesus is inviting us to be a people who lovingly and gently say no to that. Christ alone determines the texture of our lives. Christ alone is the truth that we cannot relativize based on any other claim. 
Christ alone is the life that we seek and that we hope for and that we offer to the world and that we offer to our neighbors and that we offer and commend to our country. Christ alone is the way and the truth and the life. And if we are going to be a people who trust him, we have to have every ounce of our being, our heart, our mind, our soul, our imagination, and our strength, focused, refocused, focused again on the person of Jesus Christ. There just is no other redemptive way to live. And finally, Jesus tells us that if we are to stay in sync with him, with his name and his heartbeat, then prayer is the way that it will happen. Trust, praise. Prayer really is the primal act of trust. (laughs) It's the acknowledgement that my life is in the hands of another person. Now, this doesn't mean that we shy away from like really bold and, and courageous and magnanimous and even miraculous requests. Indeed, I think one of the points of Jesus' words in verses 12 to 14 are that we would pray for really great works to happen in the world as a result of our presence and ministry in it. Like Jesus says, whatever you ask, I think he is encouraging us to pray with a courage and a boldness that we we rarely dare to pray with. But I also think it's important that we see here that Jesus' staggering claim that we will do greater works than him somehow only made slight sense in light of the fact that we are praying to Jesus himself in his name and asking him to be at work in our lives. Verses 13 and 14. Notice what Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, this I, Jesus, will do, that the Father may be glorified. Once again, if you ask anything in my name, I, Jesus, will do it. And dear brothers and sisters, we are living in one of the key moments of the history of our country. One of the pivotal moments of kind of global history as well. And Jesus is inviting us to dream really big. He is encouraging us, I think, to think creatively, to to pray imaginatively and expansively, and to ask for what seems impossible based on every human metric. And Jesus is inviting him to, to work in our homes and in our churches and in our countries and in our states. And I think Jesus is inviting us to pray for anything and everything that is in sync with all that his name stands for. Anything you ask in my name, in the kingdom that Jesus brings, in the peace that he offers, in the healing that he enacts, in the righteousness that he lives, in the generosity that he displays, in the mercy and forgiveness he extends, Jesus is asking us to pray for everything that is in sync with his name. In the midst of all that's been going on, I must admit, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I found it a little bit overwhelming at some point. <laughs> it just felt like there was, a, there was a lot of unknown and uncertainty to life. And for us as a church, like, when are we going to be meeting again? And what's a phased comeback going to look like? And How is this going to unfold? And then add to that kind of looking for a new place to meet and worship. All the dynamics of that. So this last week, I decided that I would kind of pull away from email and the phone and take something I call a think week. 
a week to just pray and to reflect and to read and to write on behalf of our church. And as I did that this this past week, I sensed, I really sensed God laying on my heart that we should be a people, Christians, a church that seek much more than survival and protection. Like survival and protection is an important thing in some ways to seek in this time, especially for those that are most vulnerable. But we should be seeking for more as well. Like God's not just calling us to be a people who hunker down and wait it out, even though that's necessary in some regards. But I think Jesus is inviting us into this wonderful opportunity to be really creative and to be really generous and to be really thoughtful and to be really present, following Jesus in the midst of the storm for the sake of others. I found myself asking these questions. Like, like God's put us in such a time as this with, with really unique values and vision and resources and gifts. So, so how can we be as generous as possible with what we've been given? God's put us in such a place as this with, with a unique combination of people. Like, have you ever been to a church with so many spiritual directors and therapists and teachers and professors in your entire life? Probably not. How can we be a people who creatively extend to others what God has so graciously given to us? In the midst of my Think Week, I, I had an opportunity to read a church survey that you guys did, I think, uh, back in 2016. I wasn't here for that. But I read some of the kind of summary results of it. And one of the questions that I found really interesting is it said, if you were to use three words to describe your experience of Holy Trinity, what would they be? Three words to describe your experience of Holy Trinity. What would they be? And th these are some of the words people said, some of the top hits. Safe. Restful. Refuge. Quiet. The, the triplet of beautiful, thoughtful, peaceful was there a lot. Healing. Intimate non-anxious and artistic, contemplative and deep, refreshing and reverent, intentional and loving. And I mean, the list goes on. I could, I could list things for the next five or six minutes. But just think about those words. Beautiful and peaceful and healing and intimate and intentional and loving and refreshing. I don't know about you, but I'm profoundly thankful to be a part of church, a community that has this sort of ethos to it. And I've been wondering myself, may it be that this is precisely what the world needs in the midst of a pandemic? A second century Christian once said, what the soul is to the body, that are Christians in the world. May it be that God has already given us precisely what the world needs in the midst of a pandemic. Brothers and sisters, I look forward to the days ahead with you. I have no idea in some sense exactly how it's going to unfold. None of us do. But I think Jesus is inviting us into a creative generosity that is going to be really fun to explore together. And I'm excited to see how it is that the Spirit moves and works and blesses us and others through us in the days to come.
I speak these words to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.